0: you're listening to Talking Smart, the official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Michael Blaine. You're listening to Talking Smart, the official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air Rail, and Transportation Workers.
1: Welcome to the sixth episode of Talking Smart. Each month, we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada.
0: Last episode, we heard from two smart sisters, Lisa Davis and Vanessa Carmen, who discussed how they got into the industry, training and mentoring, growing diversity in construction, and opportunities for women in the sheet metal trade. This episode, We continue that conversation with two more female leaders and activists in SMART who have taken the lead in creating new opportunities for women in the building trades.
1: This segment, we speak with Michelle McNew and Leo Rambo. Michelle is the chair of the SMART Women's Committee and a longtime business manager at Local 464 in Ponca City, Oklahoma.
2: When I first announced that I was going to run for business manager, I was told by some of the members, you know, we respect you for wanting to run for this, but um, respectfully, We need a man in there. Um, Obviously, I'm up for a challenge. I just told him, I said, I'm running. You know, I've committed to run and I respect your opinion, but here I am and I I am going to run for this office.
0: We also talk with Leah Rambo, a native New Yorker who serves as a trading administrator for Local 28. She's broken new ground for women and minority members in
3: her local. And if you want unions to have the reputation of protecting the people, Well, then they have to make sure that they reflect all the people. So when you just have one demographic or just a couple demographics, then it's going to give the impression that maybe women aren't welcome or minorities are not welcome. That's not the case, but we have to really work on targeting those areas so that people could really see where our heart's at.
1: In addition, listen for the open mic segment with General President Joseph Sellers at the end of this episode. He responds to questions that smart members have sent in via email or voice message. In this episode, he responds to a question about what SMART is doing in response to protests and rallies for racial justice occurring across the United States and around the world.
4: We need to listen, and I mean really listen, to our brothers and sisters who have been affected by racism. We cannot assume we know their experience or even how they feel. Black lives matter, and it's time to show that, not only through our words, but through our actions.
0: Michelle, thank you for being on the show today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a sheet metal worker?
2: Yeah, I uh, I'm married. I have two children. Um, actually, I was working as a bank teller at a bank and working long hours and little pay, and seeing people from um, sheet metal workers come through with their checks that was double the amount of mine, and their hours was a lot less than mine. So. Uh, money, benefits, um, hours—all that was intriguing, and and got me to uh, uh, apply for a job there. So it went from there. I didn't have any background, knew nothing about union, knew nothing about sheet metal. Just that's what enticed me to to get into the trade.
0: Now, what was your first job like when you first started?
2: When I very first, we was actually talking about this earlier. When I very first started, and um, I, I work in production shop, so walking through the production shop, you feel like you're you're walking the mile, right? Because everybody just stops and they look at you, and it's like, oh my gosh, there's the new girl, you know. And they took me to the place where I was going to be working, and everything after that went pretty smooth. But I was told, you know, I was asked, so have you been? picked on? Are you, are you, you know, anything going on? And I was like, no, it's been pretty good. And come to find out, I had an upstander that had my back from the get-go. There was somebody that worked out there that actually knew my husband and pretty much told him, yeah, I know her husband, do not mess with her. And so without knowing it, I had that mentor Mm -hmm. and that upstander standing behind me from the get-go, which helped.
0: So people were pretty good with you then? They were... You didn't didn't get bothered with too much.
2: Not not right at first, you know. Over longevity, you have you have your issues, but not right at first. And and what what that did tell me is that the common thing was for the new person, especially female, coming into that job to really catch a lot of flack. You know, I was told this is a shop environment. You got to be tough-skinned. You got to be to handle this to keep this job. You you got to be able to take it, so we're just telling you up front, this is not an easy place to work. Mm-hmm. And so I was warned, you know, and that's how they did. People come in and said, "You, we don't uh, tell each other, and you're going to hear a lot of things and see a lot of things that you're not going to feel comfortable with, but that's just shop life, so get used to it. But you
1: didn't hear things that you were uncomfortable with because the path was cleared a little bit by it, what it they said? It was cleared
2: a little bit, like, for when I very first started working there. But then, of course, you know, over time, he's not going to be standing right there by me the whole time. So, yeah. so then you do hear things, and you see things. And at that time, um, the companies hadn't come in and really cleaned up the areas. So there was a lot of foul language. There was a lot of... Um, girly calendars and pornography and stuff like that, hanging on the walls and, and that type of thing. It, it was really a disrespectful environment for, for a woman to be in. And that was why they was telling me, you got to be thick-skinned and not let this, don't take it personally, it just is what it is because you're in a sharp environment. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, though, luckily I've seen a change. The companies have come in and they have cleaned it up and it's a more safe and inclusive environment. For, for everybody to work in now.
0: So during that time, you were working on the shop floor. Now you're the business manager of the local. So you obviously, it was a tough environment. You definitely, seems like you did a little bit more than survive that environment. You seem to have thrived in it, right? So what was that like, becoming a business manager? How did you become business manager of the local?
2: Okay, so I worked out there for a lot of years. And um, when... We were with Local 124 out of Oklahoma City, which is a building trades local. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, they decided they they didn't want us anymore. So um, the International gave our local the option of either um, becoming our own local, chartering our own local, or merging with another local. So that was in 1997, and we chose to charter our own local at that point. Um, so, when that happened, I ran for office and, and I was uh, elected as one of the executive board members. So, I kind of, right from the ground floor of our charter as a production local. And from there, I was uh, I was e-board for a while and vice president for a while, um, union steward, shop steward on the floor. and. Um, Really didn't think too much about being a business manager. You know, I did what I could do to help. But then after my kids graduated and left the house, I was like, okay, now now's the time. I can, I can dedicate the time that this job really needs because mm-hmm. I knew it was a lot of work. And so I ran for business manager in 2011, and I'm just ending my third term up for elections again in June.
1: So how how important is it for other women or younger women coming up behind you to see you and other women in positions of leadership and sort of see that it's possible?
2: Oh, I feel like it's very important, very, very important. When I first announced that I was going to run for business manager, I was told by some of the the members, you know, we respect you for wanting to run for this, but um, respectfully – We need a man in there. We need somebody that's tough. We need somebody that's strong. We need somebody to go in there and fight for us. And we just don't think a woman's... We don't think you can get elected to to this office. And obviously, I'm up for a challenge.
1: What would you say to them?
2: I just told them, I said, I'm running. You know, I've committed to run, and I respect your opinion, but here I am, and I I am going to run for this office. And uh, I was running against the previous business manager and... Um, I think he got like three votes and I got all the rest of them so obviously this person didn't know what he was talking about.
1: Do you think any of them changed their opinion or did you demonstrate that you were a well, strong I, effective leader and s- sort of turned some people around? And
2: Proof is always in when you're elected official. Every three years your job's up for grabs and that was my first term and for the next two terms, um, nobody ran against me. So I ran un- unopposed, which tells me that they felt like I was doing a pretty good job, or they would have had somebody in there running against me.
0: So you went into contract negotiations, I assume, sometime during your first term. What was that like, was that, were they, was that a little challenging there?
2: It was challenging, actually. We had contract negotiations. Um, I got elected in July. We had my first contract negotiations in October, so it was really quickly after I got elected. Um, luckily, um, it was Rick Deardall at the time from International. They come in and helped me, help walk through that first negotiation. So that, that, it was a learning process, but mm-hmm. I had somebody to kind of lean on a little bit for that. And International's always been really good about helping me mm-hmm. in any aspect that I needed.
1: You are listening to Talking Smart. As the coronavirus continues to impact our communities and jobs, please visit the SMART homepage at www.smart-union.org for a compilation of COVID-19 resources from across our industries and trusted government sources from throughout the United States and Canada. You've been to the uh, Women Build Nations Conference. I have. Could you say a little bit about that experience and also the international support for that and for, you know, growing the number of women that we send each time.
2: I think my first time to ever be the Women Build Nations Conference was about three years ago. I was told that the year before that there was only like 34 attendees, but they told me from smart SMART Mm -hmm. and that I had, you know, you've got to go. You you just wouldn't, you you can't even imagine what the energy is there. And I was floored. I mean, even as a woman, I was I was really taken back by all the energy and all the sisterhood and and everything that was going on there. It was amazing. Since then, we've over doubled our attendees each year. I think last year, unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there last year because um, I had contract negotiations. But we had like something like 230 smart members that attended that. Not only that, but General President Sellers spoke, attended that, um, and was, was a big hit. I mean, we had people from other trades coming up and telling us how, how much his speech meant and that they could, sincerely, they could tell that he was behind us and that he was um, put forth a lot of effort in having respect and inclusion for women in, the, in his trade. So it made a huge impact. And he's always been there to push, you know, anything we've needed as far as attendees for the Women Build Nations. He's been there to help us every step of the way.
1: Leah, you were there. At, yes. And what, what was that experience like for you?
3: It really was amazing, um, especially when he spoke. A lot of us, you know, we were trying to tough it out, but we all had, like, our tissues out, and we were like... <laughs> Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's our guy, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. Um, women from the other trades were coming to us and said, "You guys are really fortunate. You're really lucky. You can tell that he's sincere. He really means it. He's got he's got your back." Um, and we felt so we felt so proud, you know. When you know when the speaker comes down the aisle, we had the biggest delegation. We had like 15 of us, you know, walking him down the aisle, and we stood there like guards while he you know while he spoke. So it w- it was really very cool. Um, even the community v- event, um, Vanessa Carmen had organized it with the the women out there, and going to um, a shelter and making blankets and the quilt uh, had a special night for us to like kind of meet and greet and get to know everybody. But it was it was inspiring, and you felt hopeful. felt very I felt very hopeful. So that.
1: The tone is being set at the top, you'd say, oh, in definite. terms of commitment to recruiting women, diversity
3: in the union? It makes, it makes all the difference. I, I mean, I, I kind of have a motto, get in where you fit in. So if it's not at the top, then I'll start at the bottom. I'll go in between. I'll try to figure out how to do it. But when it's at the top, it, it, it makes life so much easier.
1: So would you say that the significantly increased numbers of smart women going to this convention— just as one example, it, is that a combination both of, a, of leadership, priority, and commitment, and interest on the ground?
3: I'll say, no, it's the leadership and the commitment. The interest was already there. The women had the interest, but you know, how do you go to your foreman and say, or your employer, or, you know, the job, like, hey, can I go? It costs this, but if you have somebody up top and saying, hey, can you send somebody? But it's a little bit of a pressure, and sometimes it's not even about a of pressure, sometimes it's just awareness, Maybe you were afraid to go to your business manager and say it, are afraid to go to your e-board. But, you know, when they're getting a letter from the general president saying, hey, we're supporting this. Can you do it? Now they're looking at it. They recognize it. It's on the radar where it just might not have been on their radar before, before because we didn't mention it.
0: Yeah, one thing, speaking to what you mentioned about Joe being there, um, I can say that in the last couple of months I had other trades come up to me and they're like, yeah, hey, we're going to have a general president come to the DC one. we got to have them at the DC one because you guys had yours there last year. So we're going to have, to make sure our person is there. <laughs> you know, and their, and their, and their trades and, and these other trades that the women who were the delegates from those trades are going back and they're saying, Hey, where's our guy? We want to get our guy there too. And so it's, it's starting something there.
2: So, you know, um, it's not only the women that go to the Build, uh, Women Build Nations Conference that are affected by it. We've had a lot of business managers and reps that are men go to that and walk out just in awe. And even to the point of telling us, you know what, now we know how you feel. Because they're one man in amongst, what, 2,800 women, I think, Joe mm-hmm. Sellers said was there. So now we know what it's like to be the one person that's a little out of place, yeah. right? So, um, but they've gone back and, and started at their women's committees from being at the Women Nations Conference. They've, it, it's made a big impact, male or female. So it, it is definitely something to experience, and it doesn't have to be a female person
3: to go to um, really get the, get the gist of what's going on there. One of the the impacts I saw is when they come back. Like when I look at our union meeting and the attendance now, and you look at the women there, you know, considering the the percentage of women that are in my in my trade or in my union, it's a much higher percentage that's at the union meeting. And then when I look at the faces of the people who are there, the lot, the vast majority of those women have been to that conference. So it kind of like inspires you, puts a fire under you. So that you come back like you're active, you want to be at those union meetings. You're the one who's volunteering when they go to to Albany. You're the one who's willing to be on the picket line. So it really is infectious the type of um, um, union spirit that's at those at those conferences, and it and you take it back home with you.
1: Speaking of taking it back home, there there was a number of resolutions that were developed and submitted to the convention this last summer that spoke to. Uh, some of these issues. Could you say a little bit about what, both what those were and sort of what role locals played in moving them to convention and getting them passed?
3: Well, I would say that for the Smart Women's Committee, that was the first thing that we, you know, we thought about. This is a convention year, and are there changes that would be helpful? So we came up with some resolutions, um, some amendments, policies that we thought might be put in place and presented them. Um, you know, first to the international. And after we kind of got them all cleaned up and lawyers looked at it, and, and then we all went back to our individual locals, our executive boards, and presented it there so that they could present it to their councils. So it was it was heartwarming, you know, when you got back home and you saw that it was passing through your own executive board, through your own membership and going to those councils um, and helping us to kind of move it along. So it, it, gave, it gets hopeful. It gives you hope to know that they're a lot of guys out there, a lot of good men out there that really support this and are relieved and happy to see the change. I mean, we talk about making the industry a better place for women, but there's plenty of guys that just don't like that harassment. Plenty of guys that don't want to see pinups all over the place. There's plenty of guys that don't want to see disrespectful t- uh, you know speech or people being hazed, and they, that's just not who they are. So it also gave a lot of those men the, the strength to to stand up and to a back us. us. We have
0: mothers and sisters as well. A lot of us,
1: we have mothers and sisters as well. All right. Yeah. And what, what were some of those resolutions? one of them was uh, the goal of doubling the number of women in That's my smart. One. Yeah. What were some of the key significant issues that were addressed by those?
3: Well, I guess the first thing is the the key issue is to make sure you recognize how many women do you have, right? In order to double it, so. The challenge really is for the local unions to go back and to look at their numbers, look at their apprenticeship programs and see where they are and then set a strategic plan to to make a change. Because if you don't if you don't have a goal for yourself, if you don't set, set those numbers, then you can never really reach them. And I think sometimes we think, Oh, I've got plenty of women. Oh yeah, we look, it's two in that class, we got women. But then now when you start counting, you look at that percentage, it's like, Oh my goodness, is that less than one percent? Is that only 3% that we're bragging about because we see this one woman? So it kind of wakes you up and says, all right, we, we really need to do better. Our industry, um, are we tougher to get in than, say, the fire department? The fire department has more women than us. Police have more women than us. The military, the military is about 25% uh, female. So there's really no excuse for us. So it it, it made us wake up and, and really look at our numbers and and seriously, you know, take on that task of improving it.
0: That's an interesting stat you just brought up there because one thing that people have heard out there, and a lot of times they don't say it out in public, but they're still thinking it internally, is that women can't hack this kind of work. They're not strong enough to hack this kind of work. And then you bring this up. You've got 25% of the military are women, right? That's pretty. That's a pretty tough job right there. What would you say to them?
3: I would say just that. I mean, it, to me, it's a joke. I did it. In a trade, what do we always say? It's not rocket science, right? That's what we all say. You need someone who's dependable, who has a measure of intelligence, who can follow instructions. Um, that's what you need, for the most part. The other things you can, you can learn, as one of the uh, speakers earlier today, he talked about, you know, what happened during World War II? What happened? You know, that was women. That was women building the airplanes, fly, flying the airplanes. It's what we do. Um, I think about, you know, as a, an African American woman, I, you know, think about, okay, what, what was it like during times of slavery? That was some hard work. Women were doing it. It wasn't even like you could take off maternity leave. You have your baby in the field. You're still back the next day, still tending to picking cotton. Um, so those are, those are bogus. Those are excuses. Um, the real issue is these are good paying jobs. And sometimes it makes people uncomfortable for women to really be in those good paying jobs. You think of women who work in um, home health aid, the type of lifting dead weight bodies. Nobody's saying there, oh, well, women can't do that. They shouldn't do that, but it's a low paying job. So I think it's a lot more about you know, economics, um, about our biases that you know that we, we have. We can't help but have them, but really making ourselves aware of them and realize that's really just excuses.
1: So how did you get into the trade? What interested you in sheet metal?
3: I love tools. That is definitely a weakness of mine and I can literally say I've always loved tools. I got my first tool set when I was 10 years old. And my family, my parents were the type that just encouraged us to do whatever we seemed to do well. So I was a kid who was literally taking apart appliances in the house and putting them back together. So I just always was fascinated with tools always was mechanically inclined. My brother's the same way. My father is not at all. His favorite saying was, uh, something was broken, go, uh, call the man. So I always had that interest. Um, I did volunteer work with my with my family and religious organizations with community building and in construction as a kid. And I went to an engineering high school. In New York, we're fortunate. We have um, specialized high schools, And I took technical drawing in, in high school. My intention was to be an electrician. I took electrical engineering, electronics, and I wasn't able to get into that union. And someone told me try sheet metal. And I, my response was, "What sheet metal? It's is all you like it? It's fun." I said, "Okay, it sounds like a good career choice. You know, it's fun, yeah. it's metal, and I, that was it. I took the test, I passed, I was in the apprenticeship program like the week later." So it really happened just like that, with me not knowing what sheet metal was. And about a couple of months into the program, the electricians did call me, but I was having so much fun in sheet metal. Everything was new. And I figured with the electricians, probably the first two years I might be bored.
1: And and what was it like when you were in your first or second year? Were there other women in your in your classes, in your apprenticeship?
3: It was one. There was one in my class. Um, she didn't finish. At some point she left. Um so when I graduated I was you know I was the only one
1: so what was that what was that like? Did you feel alone in some ways and and so sort of how did how did you how did you make it?
3: I did feel uh, I felt alone in it um it was it was tough. I was fortunate i I had people that I could you know look to I had a good support system with friends and family but it was it was difficult you know you in a class. You'll have those one or two guys. I had one or two guys that I was really close with, and I pretty much stuck with those couple of guys, and we were always in class together, and the same thing at work. You know, you might find one or two mechanics that, you know, they're going to look out for you, that are going to teach you, and so those are the ones I kind of tried my best to stick around and stay away from the ones that I knew were no good.
0: So in a way, you kind of had a mentorship.
3: I did, I I did. I mean, the the person who told me try sheet metal was a woman, and she was a sheet metal worker. So she always checked on me. Um, when I was in the the shop, I did about six months in the shop, and I got sent to the field. And the very first mechanic that I worked for, uh, he taught me so much. He constantly pushes me to do more. He still pushes me to do more. He works for me now, but he's still pushing me to do, you know... Um, more, but I, I still keep my mentors close to me.
1: And when you went in that first job in the field, were you the only woman again, or one of just a handful? What was that like?
3: I was the only one. For me, being the only woman wasn't bad if nobody was bothering me, you know? I, you, when you feel it, it's as if someone's harassing you. You know, I, I played sports a lot, I played basketball, you know, oftentimes <laughs> on the basketball court. You know, would be me, my brother, and a bunch of other guys. And, you know what I mean? So that was okay. It was I was comfortable around guys. I just wasn't comfortable with that type of harassment.
0: A lot of women have felt harassment out there on the job scene. A lot of people don't really realize that that's going on, or a lot of times they don't see it. You know, have you ever seen it yourself? Of course. And have, like, do you have an example of it, of anything that's happened, or?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know it comes in harassment can come in many forms when it's based on gender. So it might be something that's simple I won't say simple, but like rude or or crude comments, sexually vulgar stuff, um being having to be exposed to pornography everywhere you go. People exposing themselves to you on the job, that's happened. Um I've had at least two occasions when somebody tried to like grab me and, and kiss me, um, on the job. Were you just sort of shocked in,
1: in the moment or how did you how did you handle those?
3: I was shocked. I was completely shocked. I mean, it was not someone that I, you know, expected. Some random old guy. Like I just was like, are you like, are you kidding me? Like I, I yeah, shocked was it? And um, I remember telling my he he was not a sheet metal worker. He was a carpenter. And I mean, I told my foreman, oh, yeah, just stay away from that guy. I Told the company. I started writing letters. Um, and I remember even after the fact. I would be in a room by myself, maybe doing diffusers, um, which is the air outlets. And he would come in, the, he would be standing by the door, and I would look. And like, he's a really creepy guy. He'd be standing out by the door. And then he came over once to my ladder. And I remember I took my my hammer out, had it on my, you know, my hip. I just took it out and threw it down. And I got down on my ladder, and I picked it back up. And I was like, next time it's not going to miss you. And he didn't come back into my room. But that was... I mean it was it was really so your employer scared. kind of
1: blew it off. Yeah. Just stay away from the guy. What's the difference now in how you would handle that situation or if you're advising another woman, what's changed?
3: Well, one big thing has changed is the position that I'm in now. I'm in a position where I can, you know, affect change in my local union. I'm, I'm on the executive board. Um, so that's one thing and I'm the training director. So I train the apprentices and everyone around me that we take all types of complaints of bullying, hazing, harassing, seriously. And from time to time, I may get a complaint like that from an apprentice. And I get a full report, make sure that the um, employer knows what the allegations are, make sure that the business agents know and the manager. And in Local 28, we're fortunate to have a director, VEO, an officer of court compliance that also, so I make sure everyone knows. And then we all do our investigation. And I, you know, I find out that when there's transparency like that, um, everybody's doing the investigation, the, the employer looks and sees what's going on and, and makes the, you know, the appropriate decision. I don't sweep anything under the rug. And this is what happened. We have to address it. We try to address it as, as quickly um, and as positively as we can and move on.
0: Sign up for text message alerts and stay on top of news from across our union that affects you, your job, and your family. Just text the word SMART to 21333. Doing so ensures you receive timely information about job banks, new episodes of this podcast, action alerts on critical legislation, member benefit information, smarter Army, and much more. Again, just text the word SMART to 21333. Message and data rates may apply. With
4: the Me Too
1: movement and some very high-profile famous people being held accountable for a sexual assault has that had an impact on the workplace at all in terms of awareness discussions and knowing that there's real repercussions
3: absolutely and even before the me too movement you know at least what i was preaching is we got to get out of the stone ages how long can we think i mean some of the behavior that we are just accustomed to is okay like Look at the rest of the world. So, you know, for our industry, we have to speed up our progress really quick. Otherwise, we're going to be in some hot water. So we're really trying to have those discussions in terms of what is professional behavior. We are professionals. We get paid as professionals. And I would say to them, if you want to have pinups, that's fine. At home, put them all in the refrigerator at home. That's where you can put your pinups, not in the gang box, not on not on the walls, and when you say put them at home, they're thinking, "Well, I can't put that at home. well, your behavior uh, right we're, you're, you're being paid a certain amount of money to behave in a certain way. It's just that simple.
1: what would you say about the importance of being in a, in a union and you know as women in your union, but collective action and being in a union to to take on and address these kind of issues?
3: well, I can't even imagine having to deal with some of these things and not being in a union, you know, Vanessa Carmen, you know, she started out not in the union. It's like, that's, that's pretty tough, you know? Um, so the union gives us the the support. It gives us the voice to be able to say those things. These conversations aren't even happening. I believe on a construction site, a non-union construction site. I try to get all those women in with us (laughs) because, um, you know the unionism is that collective voice that you have for for power, um, for there to be protection of a of a contract of a, of a constitution, and having that amendment in our constitution now, where it specifically um, talks about that type of sexual and discrimination and hazing, harassing and bullying, that's really important and it's it's really powerful because it. It's not only sets the tone, but it lets people know that, you know, we're not playing around. You got to change or, or deal with the with the consequences of not changing.
1: So organizing and growing union market share is the best, perhaps, tool out there for ensuring fair treatment?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, not just that, but
0: how does diversity, right, and diversifying, not just with women but with people of color as well, how does it help us, especially when we're facing a, a recruitment shortage right now, right, and we're looking to man work uh, Not man work, but deal with workforce issues.
3: So there's no worker shortage. It's just a shortage for us, right? So what we have to do is look at the areas where we were not commonly looking. And those areas are growing, right? So if you're not recruiting women, there's millions of women out there. If you weren't creating, you know, recruiting minorities, well, they're out there. So I think as an industry, uh, for us to survive and for us to grow, I mean, it's it's looking at the numbers. Look at our the census. Look where populations are growing. Are those areas where we were recruiting? No, we need to go there. And if you want to uh, unions to have the reputation of protecting the people, well, then they have to make sure that they reflect all the people. So when you just have one demographic or just a couple demographics, then it's going to give the impression that maybe women aren't welcome or minorities are not welcome. And union members, we feel like that's not the case, but we have to really work on targeting those areas so that people could really see where our heart's at. Because sometimes it's hard to see it when you're looking on the outside. Traditionally, it, it's not a place where women are. Traditionally, it's not a place where minorities are. And so it's easy for people to turn you know, certain groups against unionism because they're like, well, we're not there, it must be true. So for us to show it's not true, you really have to, um, we have to make a really big effort on that.
0: Michelle, how have you seen things change in the last 20 years, right, since you first started in terms of how women have been treated at work?
2: Well, like I say, coming from a production shop, you know, I, I've seen a tremendous change, not only with the union, but with the company as well on what's acceptable and and the, you know, one of the things we made leaps and bounds with our resolutions and amendments, we, the Smart Women's Committee actually had seven resolution amendments that we uh, come up with, and all seven of those passed. All seven of those got adopted into our Constitution, and one of them was um, the resolution to fostering a productive and positive work environment. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, and that's for all levels of our organization. That's from IA down to adopt specific um, anti-bullying, hazing, harassment language in policies, code of conducts, uh, code of excellence, all of those things. And when you have those policies in place and you have this in the Constitution that we can fall back on, not only that, but also the one for uh, uh, misconduct and penalties, Mm -hmm. Knowing that even if you're from a smaller local and maybe you don't have the buildup that Leah's local is fortunate enough to have, you go to your business manager and say, hey, I've experienced this. And if you get nowhere with that, with all these things now being in the Constitution, you have another avenue. You get a hold of the IA and say, hey, my Constitution says this and I'm not being represented in a way that I feel like is fair and equal, and I need some help here, and, and you will get it. So do what you, sort of
1: resources are there for, for locals that aren't, aren't there yet or want to you know, want to move in that direction? Is there like a, a toolkit or templates of some of these policies that they can – how do they find that kind of thing?
3: So some of the best practices for recruiting and retaining women you can find online. A couple of organizations are um, Oregon Tradeswomen, Chicago Women in the Trade. Chicago Women in the Trade has the probably the largest portion of the Wantu grant, which is the only grant set aside for really women in, in apprenticeships, uh construction trades. And they do technical assistance, but on their websites it's really step by step. How to be, you know, start a women's committee. You know, what are the best practices and, and they look at the construction industry and look at certain projects, signature projects where they've had say 30 percent women and how did those go and how those projects were safe and they finished earlier. So um, those are two places really to get resources. Also uh, Department of Labor, the Women's Bureau. This year is the hundred year anniversary for the Women's Bureau. Also quite a few uh, resources and, and toolkits that are that are there.
1: What about for a template of a policy for fostering a positive workplace? If people are looking for actual language of some of this stuff, right?
2: I would say that um, a lot of the policies and those type of things that I've been able to utilize as a small local, anywhere from record retention and destruction on through this, you know, these type of uh, code of conducts and and, uh, policies in place, I've reached out to the international and they've already drawn these up to utilize for the international. So they're more than happy to give those to the locals Mm -hmm. to as a template to go off of and and to um, make it their own, you know, make the changes they need to make to make it their own. And, And that's what I've used. That's what I've
3: used.
0: Got a question. You're a woman. You just had an incident happen on the work site. What do you do?
3: I'd say the first thing you would do is contact if you're a mechanic. You would let your shop steward know and let your employer know. That would be the first thing. You cover both areas so that the the union is in a position where they can take action and your employer is in a position to take action. And document. Document what happens and um, get support from someone on the job who you know you respect and, and, you know, that you can talk to. And if it's not on the job then you can reach out to people outside from the job just to you know have some support while you go through that because it's a it's a difficult thing to do but it is very important that you do go ahead and let the your shop steward, business agent, manager and the employer know so that sometimes people don't know and the employer when he finds out or she finds out they're like oh my goodness I can't believe this happened to my company no one told me so you you do have to it's a scary thing but you do have to tell someone I find younger workers are much more open um, to just change in the workplace, to women coming in the workplace. Um, I, I just find them to be more open, more vocal, um, more vocal about what they're feeling, um, more vocal about how quickly they want a change to happen. But in, in my area, um, most of the incidents that I deal with is not from a younger generation. You know, it's um, a forty-five years old plus. You know, forty-five to sixty-five, more of that age range, is probably where eighty-five percent of the complaints that that come out. And you get a, a couple of young ones, but that's not usually the the issue. The, some of the problems I have with people in a younger generation is not liking how someone talked to them. You know, they're they're a little bit more sensitive than, you know, my generation coming up of, you know, being talked to in a way because, and it is, they're right. It's a really disrespectful way that we talked to. We're just like, ah, oh, just brush it off, you know, <laughs> don't pay attention to it where, you know, they pay attention to that. So, um, I noticed that they are more aware of that, but I, I, I find them to be much easier to, to talk to. I, I look at the dynamics in the class. I see friendships, um, forming. I, I want to do like a an article something on just like sheet metal families because I have, when we make out this the class schedule, I have several requests. I get, hey, can I come the same week as such and such? And it's a, it's a couple, either married couple or people live together. Like they're families and they've got little sheet metal babies, which I'm ecstatic <laughs> about because it's more apprentices for me. But um, there were several. Even my last graduation, um, two of the women that graduated were, um, you know how their partners are sheet metal workers one was a mechanic he was there you know um we have a home out in the Poconos another one she graduated um her partner he's maybe a year behind her and they've got a beautiful son he was there um actually there was one more there was three of them in my last class so they weren't graduating together but they were they were couples I have several you know families in you know in the trade and You know, sometimes the woman comes in first and says, you know what, my husband needs to know about this job. She gets in first. And other times the guy comes in first and he's bringing in his wife or his sister or his girlfriend. One of my biggest things I look at, and I say, I know there's a change. Because when daddy wants to bring his little girl in and the husband's bringing in his wife and vice versa, that means that we have successfully made some type of impact and change in our our culture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not like, yeah, look, we got more to go. But I see that progress because, you know, years ago you talked to guys, even they were saying to me, like, what do you want to do this for? I would never want my wife here. I would never want my one. And now you see more and more, at least in my area, saying, yeah, I'm going to tell her about it. That's two salaries, you know. And, um, and they're, they're making it work.
1: So you both entered the industry not really knowing anything about it and, except that there was good jobs. And,
3: and it was construction. And it was
1: construction. Mm-hmm. But what would you say, you know, coming from that background, and learning all that you've learned. What, what would you say to a woman who just entered the sheet metal industry or is contemplating
3: uh, getting into it now? I think all roads lead to sheet metal. We start from scratch. We take nothing. We take nothing, and we we build HVAC systems. We, we did the, the Statue of Liberty. I mean, uh, sheet metal workers are incredibly um, skilled, so no matter what, Cheat metal. Cheat metal is the answer. That's what I say.
2: So I think I would just tell her, go for it. I mean, go for it. It's it's an amazing career and it is a career. You have an amazing union family and, and we're behind you 100%. So absolutely go for it.
0: All right. I want to thank everybody who was on today. Uh, Leah, Michelle, we learned a lot from you today. Uh, for everybody listening, these women represent the vanguard of a movement our industry that's been a long time coming. Uh, women are here. Women are here to stay. They're your sisters. You're working side by side with them. And thank you for listening today. Sign up for text message alerts and stay on top of news from across our union that affects you, your job, and your family. Just text the word SMART to 21333. Doing so ensures you receive timely information about job banks, new episodes of this podcast, action alerts on critical legislation, member benefit information, Smart Army, and much more. Again, just text the word SMART to 21333. Message and data rates may apply. Welcome to our open mic segment with General President Justice Sellers. A question for this segment comes from Jonathan Stogner, a Local 83 member out of Albany, New York. He asks, in his own words, what materially is the smart union doing to assist the black community, our brothers, sisters, and cousins?
4: Well, first, Paul and Michael, thank you for bringing me into this podcast. And uh, i also like to thank Jonathan for his question. We witnessed the murder of George Floyd right before our eyes and without a sense of humanity. Sadly, this is only the latest incident that portrays systemic racism that our brothers and sisters in the African American and the minority communities have dealt with for far too long. The peaceful demonstrations in city across America and around the world have us hurting and display us hurting, and we are fed up of a system that has failed them. Protests have been part of the labor movement since our founding, and has been taken to the streets in solidarity. Make your voices heard for change and for action. Black Lives Matter. To your question, one of our highest priorities coming out of our convention from last year was a renewed commitment for systematic change for women and our brothers and sisters of color who work in our industries. In January, we assembled a group of leaders to review and improve our plans to develop a diverse workforce. This includes providing opportunity in disadvantaged communities, going into the community to recruit and create programs to retain those that are underrepresented. We've done this through community workforce agreements implemented in project labor's agreements. We've done this in manufacturing of buses, trains, and other areas. At the end of last year, we started diversity training. That has been very, very powerful. We also must stop any type of bullying, hazing, and all forms of harassment. We need to stand together and stop bad behavior. This is not only for sisters in the trade, but also our brothers. We need to listen and I mean really listen to our brothers and sisters who have been affected by racism. We cannot assume we know their experience or even how they feel. With a real effort and a sustained focus, we will do better together. In a few weeks, we will be featuring a conversation with SMART members and leaders of color. We will hear their experience in their own words and what they have dealt with in the workplace. I encourage everyone to listen with an open heart and to hear what they have to say. And in unity, a harm to you is a harm to me. Our union was formed to fight the exploitation of workers. You are my brother, you are my sister, today we will rise, together we unite for all workers. Black lives matter, and it's time to show that, not only through our words, but through our actions. Jonathan, thank you for submitting your question.
1: You're listening to Talking Smart, mobilize, organize, unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership? Call us toll free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again,
0: 844-984-0947.